0: Greetings and welcome to the 29th episode of the Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus Wargame produced by Games Workshop. In this show, I sit down and have a long conversation with renowned hobbyist Tom Gold of the Mournival Events Group to talk about how exactly are we going to use the custom Legio rules. Greetings, Princeps. The God Engine cast needs your help. I've recently made a post to Facebook listing future topics I'm thinking about doing. If you happen to have any insights on any of those topics and wish to be on this podcast, please contact me and we will talk about whether we can get you on the show to talk about that subject. I think there's around seven different subjects and I would love to explore them with individuals. So, shoot me a line if you're interested. Additionally, if you've got a topic that you really want me to discuss, please contact me. Uh, If you've got a topic you really want to discuss with me, also please contact me. And I will see about what I can do to get it on the schedule, uh, whether getting you on as well or just talking about the topic. Um, I want to keep this show relevant to what people want to hear. So give me feedback and let me know. It really helps. So, news from the community and Games Workshop. Games Workshop has been very quiet as far as Titanicus is concerned. Most of the news in the Heresy is targeted on the new Horus Heresy core book, and it looks pretty cool. At the time of recording this, the uh, previews are going up online on Garrow and places, and people are getting really excited about the new changes to Dark Angels and the Night Lords. It all looks pretty good, and as I said last episode, I cannot wait to see those armies facing off against each other on tables next to me while I'm playing Titanicus. Within the community, the community has been fairly quiet this month again. uh, COVID, I think, is slowing down the ability for people to get games. And you are still seeing this echo in the community. Just compared to this time last year, the amount of photos coming up of people's games are just, you know, there's nothing out there, but things are getting better. and Before too long, I'm sure we will all return to gaming anyway. In my own news, I finally got my hands on the latest Knight box set. Uh, I started putting them together, but i put them aside so I can concentrate on work for the Iron Halo that's going to be here in two weeks. I'll come back to the Knights here in a few weeks, and um, I'll hopefully get them all painted up. With this box of Knights, I've got enough to finish off my Knight household, and I look forward to getting them on the table before too long. Before we get on to the main section of the show, I want to spend some time talking through the Battle of Molech, Treachery and Deceit. This battle is found on page 72 to 73 of the core Book. And it's the narrative mission that really talks about the treachery of House Divine, as seen in the battle a book Vengeful Spirit. As the mission description itself says, This mission describes the main action that took place towards the climax of the battle, in the streets of Luvacalia itself, As the two battle groups face off, the loyalist forces are unaware of turncoats in their midst, and the future of humanity hangs in the balance. So the battle groups for this mission are two titan forces of around 2,000 to 2,500 points. So a fairly sizable game, but not incredibly big. The Loyalist Force needs to contain at least one Banner of Knights to represent the muster of House Divine. The battlefield itself is a 6x4 board set as a dense urban environment. Uh, it talks about having some wide avenues and tight back streets to mix up gameplay. The mission special rule is foul treachery. I'm going to kind of ablib this uh, special rule, as it's fairly complicated. But basically, at the start of the game, you create a list or slips of paper of every Loyalist Titan that is not in command by a Princip Senorus and then you will randomly select from this list it recommends pulling slips of paper from a bowl um, about one third of the units on the table these slips or however you've done it are reviewed by the traitor Titan player and put to one side in the third turn of the game, those units that have been selected switch sides. When this happens, they're no longer considered to be part of any maniple they were a part of, nor any squadron. There is a designer's note here saying that historically it was the science of House Divine who were subverted by the Law of Chaos. But to keep the mission interesting, it should be any of the loyalist units that can turn traitor. It changes the story slightly. But it sidesteps the issues of the player knowing who is about to be ambushed, which is pretty cool. Overall, this is a pretty fantastic trait, and I kind of want to use this special in other games as well, though very friendly ones. Again, there is a, another call-out box for other people's models, where the designers talk about, you know, the social contract in moving around other people's models. So this is definitely a game you play with a good friend, more than someone you've just met at a gaming store. The deployment itself would be familiar to players of 40k and 30k as a standard hammer and anvil setup, with both sides getting 24 inches on the short edge of the 6x4. The traitor player decides who's going to be first player in the first round, and the battle lasts 6 rounds until one player has no units left. Victory conditions are fairly simple. The traitor player wins if all loyalist titans at the end of the game are destroyed. That doesn't include the Loyalist Titans that are going to turn traitor, obviously. And the Loyalist wins, if, at the end of the game, they have some surviving models. It is a draw if the Loyalist player only has units remaining which are structurally compromised. So it's a fairly easy system to play, pretty simple winning conditions, and a pretty good game. I think this mission itself is really good. You can probably play around with the numbers a fair bit, probably reduce the points down if you want a shorter game. Um, the actual special mission could be used with any sort of setup on the scenery. Uh, it's really easy to roll into any campaign. Um, and I definitely think it is going to be worth a shot to play at some point. Um, I'm going to try and find a time to play it myself. Um, and I'll talk about it more on the podcast then. Uh, it sort of slipped by as a one I've not really reviewed, look, read until getting ready to do this review. And I really like it. So, if you've played this mission, let me know, send me a voicemail, or um, shoot me an email and talk about it. It will be really useful to hear some feedback on these narrative missions. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So, in today's main section of the show, I sit down to discuss the custom Legio rules with renowned hobbyist Tom Gould. Now, Tom lives in Australia, and I live in Oklahoma, so we have a 14-hour time difference. So I got up at 6am in the morning, so I could catch Tom at the end of his day at 9pm. I think you can tell that at the start of the episode, where I'm getting pretty tired, uh, or I am pretty tired, and I'm a little bit slow and laggy, whereas Tom on the other side is pretty pretty on point, though I can tell it's getting pretty late by the end of the interview. We have a meandering conversation that I've trimmed out some of our most egregious tangents um, where we really sit down and look at the point of using the custom legio rules as far as a event organizer is concerned. We go into this in the interview, but I just want to be very clear. I think the custom legio rules that are established in the defensive riser book are really good. I don't think there is a real bad combination you could rock in and not have a good game with a friend. But it's probably someone you need to let know what combination you're bringing at least a couple of hours before the game. Um, the question of these rules comes into play when you start playing pickup games at your local store or when you start showing up to events. And that's definitely the conversation me and Tom try and have. And the reason I'm having this conversation with Tom is that he has a long history of putting together sort of rules of riders for a variety of Games Workshop games. He's one of the main minds behind the Mournable Event Rule Packets. And if you haven't checked it out, go and read it. It's a really in-depth rule set for predominantly 30k, but they have a whole side of it for Titanicus. It includes some really fun house rules that you can use in your local games or to run an event. You can find them all on his uh, Facebook page, Mournable Events, which is their group they use for planning events in the Sydney, Australia area. But all the files are available for everyone. And I know I've been browsing them pretty heavily and stolen several of the sections of rules using the Iron Halo. Um, I would encourage everyone to go and check them out and give them a read. Uh, they're a really good, sensible way to use the rules. He also has a rules FAQ for Titanic, so this expands on the Games Workshop one. Some of the points on that FAQ I don't necessarily agree with, and we don't really get into that in this podcast. This is mostly about the custom legio rules. But again, I'd read over that uh, rules Rider as some of that stuff makes the game really interesting and better. Anyway, with all that said, I'm just going to roll the show. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed recording it. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you at the closeout. Okay, well, thank you for joining me today. It's been great getting you on the podcast, finally. So I think we'll start at the top with my standard opening question. Uh, When did you get into Titanicus?
1: Hi, Martin. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I've been listening to it ever since you first started out and doing a great job of covering... Lots of interesting topics. Uh, I really like your Legion breakdowns. So keep going with those ones. Uh, when did I first get into Titanicus? Well, when it first came out, really, I'd always looked enviously uh, as a 38mm 30k player, like most of us, I'm sure, have been. I uh, always looked enviously at the people who had the big, expensive Forge World resin titans, um, a few warhounds, saw the odd Reaver, even the odd Warlord around. Uh, but basically, uh, Thought they took up too much room. Couldn't really see them being used too much in gaming. Display pieces, yes. And they cost an awful lot of money. So I held off and held off and had some mates playing Epic. I've played Epic ever since Epic came out back in the 90s. And um, so they were wooing me as well. But I held off trying to get those old models as well because I was pretty sure at some stage games workshop do the right thing and release a new and updated titanicus and lo and behold they did so as soon as it came out i jumped fantastic
0: uh, what particular legio do you actually collect yourself
1: uh i collect legio crucius now that's not because of any particular allegiance in the 28 mil game i know there are some people who uh, have a lot of riser type stuff uh like Brendan Hickey, for instance, over at Sons of Heresy podcast. Shout out to those guys. Uh, but I was never into Mechanicum or anything in the 28mm game. I just uh, thought that I'd like to pay, paint white and black. So I had a look around at the, round of the different paint schemes and the backstory to Crucius and the um, the colours jumped out at me. Do you attend
0: Much a- Do you play Much AT over in Australia? How big's the scene?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, with the COVID 19 crisis lockdown that's gone on, that's Put a bit of a damper on things in the first half of the year here in Sydney. But uh, fortunately, we've been back to normal pretty much. So, yeah, we have been playing a fair bit uh, here in Sydney. A lot of the 28 mil guys are playing Titanicus. So uh, we've been, well, myself, I probably on average play once a week uh, with the core group of dudes who live around the area. And uh, we also have events once a month. And Not every one of those events is uh, contains Titanicus. Uh, most of the time, they're 28 mil, but there is one coming up this very next weekend. I'm not sure when this podcast will actually go out, so really sound like a, a, <laughs> a date to anybody, but uh, uh, at our monthly events, probably one in three of those has Titanicus at it as well, uh, where we'd aim to get, hopefully, at least um, eight players. I think the next one that we've got coming up has got, got about 10 Titanicus players across two days, so that should be good. Um, hopefully, get in three games in a day, so yeah, we, we play a fair bit. It's pretty active scene here in Sydney. Uh, there's some guys further north in Newcastle, I know. Um, quite a few guys up there playing as well. That's the next big city, yeah. We, we might be doing some uh gaming between them, we might go up to them, they'll down to us uh, chatting about
0: that. So uh, it could be good seeing as you've talked about the events. I know the a lot of the events you run are under the banner of the Mournville uh gaming group, and then you have a fantastic rule set. Um, both titanicus and 30k um so i suppose we'll sort of start with the history of that um how did it come about let's start there
1: well that's a pretty deep question martin so uh we'd have to go back to like 2016 maybe um so the eye of horus podcast has been a massive here in australia and definitely here in sydney and with my gaming school um we all started listening to it as soon as it came out love the offbeat conversation the uh good mix of knowledge and skills of the hosts And they sort of uh, developed an idea called Centurion because they wanted games that looked like the covers of the books, where it's just uh, hashtag seas of men. There's lots of infantry. And we really uh, enjoyed that in my gaming group as well. So we jumped on that and um, started to uh, think of ways that we could incorporate that into our gaming experiences. And it didn't really gel that well with just taking a Centurion style army full of infantry to a 3,000 or 2,500 events. event which is what was running here in Sydney at the time because your yeah, bolt guns wouldn't do anything to flyers knights and kick the shit out of your tanks and run over etc 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 so we decided to start running our own centurion events and that's how mortal events was born basically and we also had some real lore fiends who wanted to dig down east van 3 was one of our really early interests and passions and at that stage it was basically the end of the great crusade and when you go back and read book one they talk about how there were enormous company structures that could be reasonably specialized so then we started to develop the mornable rights of war which are for centurion but you can still use them just fine people have i know in 28 mil games like age of darkness games To emphasize, say, a breacher company or probably the most famous and the most favorite one, and that's the Destroyer Company. So, we played around with a few ideas, did some play testing, some people's ideas, and uh, invented the rights of war. Some of them require additional units. We started to make up new units to cover areas of the backstory and the novels that weren't covered by the Forge World rules. And also, um, agents were a big thing. Uh, The Eye of Horus guys were running their uh, events once a year and they'd have. Uh, really deep narrative with uh, like rogue traders and navigators and agendas, sort of mm-hmm. semi role-playing type uh, aspects to it as well. So we started to use all the agents and they're pretty widespread here in Australia. The Oz 30K with Andrew Hollis, uh, he's sort of overseeing all that stuff coming together. Okay. Awesome. Rogue, rogue traders and assassins and whatnot. So that's a really good addition because, uh, you know, you've got the whole book Nemesis, which is about assassins. Yet You can't run an assassin using the <laughs> the existing rule set. So it was to fill in a lot of blanks, and uh, most people seem to to get on board with it, and uh, it really adds to the options. And having more options is never a bad thing. No. So that that's the rationale behind the twenty eight mil part of it, and from that. We got, I would say, somewhat experienced with um, writing rules and tweaking things. And so when Titanicus came along and a few things became apparent, to, we were pretty confident in my gaming group, especially after playing a few games of Titanicus, apply those sorts of things as well. So one of the first things we did was to introduce the options for carapace weapons that are in the 28mm game, but aren't in the current rules uh, games workshop for the quarter scale game. And that seems to be fine. So we just okay. It's awesome.
0: Um, if any of my listeners haven't actually sat down and looked at the Monoval Rules Pack, I've got a link in the show notes. But check them out. The uh, carface weaponry and the uh, British alternate weaponry for the Reaver type and both are really nice, good, fun things to run around with.
1: Uh, also, the missions changing the missions up was a big thing. I was just listening to your one with Henry Chown. That was a, a good episode, and uh, you guys talked a lot about missions. And missions really do play um, a way more huge part on the game than what the Legio rules. Like like Henry said uh, two episodes back, when he said that um, it seems a little bit wrong to just have a mission that's killing stuff, especially in the asymmetrical setup, Titanicus, where you will probably have a different mission to your opponent. It seems a bit wrong where one player might just have to kill the opposition, whereas the opponent might have some sort of maneuver or objective-based uh, mission and objective. So, um, yeah, we sort of stripped out all the, the kill the killie type ones and put in all ones about position and manoeuvre and also um we're working on running a campaigns here in sydney where we'll have development and advances for our titan experience and hopefully get all our princeps named up and develop characters for our individual engines so uh we've also tweaked things a little bit with a campaign in mind
0: okay well that's sort of the Mournville covered um so the custom legion rules which is why i've got you on here today uh someone who's putting together rule sets and trying to deal with their inclusion into the game um i think we'll sort of focus on talking through some ideas on how to include them um because they are a little i mean anytime you get any sets of rules that allows for customization we're allowing people to game the system and uh it has a possibility of breaking the game um and that's something we kind of want to avoid um yeah
1: you're right martin anytime there's a system there's a a way to try and maximize your benefits and smart and shrewd and sometimes unscrupulous people will do that. Um, Before we start though, I think we've got to set the, the context of this and that is that there's going to be lots of different groups playing in lots of different ways. So my comments are going to come from basically my experience of um, narrative campaigns overall, but more matched play sort of game, matched play gaming. Now, I wouldn't say it's competitive, but people play to win. And I think you do your opponent a disservice if you don't give them your best game. And also people like to have themes and they stick to those, which shapes their their views of things. Um, but overall, I think the, the narrative is what um, draws us in the imagery, and the narrative, and yeah, we want to remain true to that.
0: Yeah, and that's very much the place I'm sort of talking from. Um, The sort of ideas I'm trying to do really for events like the Halo, where I've got people traveling a large distance to play a game versus people they've never really met before. Um, So I just sort of want to get a... The conversation isn't so much about two folks who know each other really well playing down in the garage. It's about how do we establish a common language and a common idea for people who've never really met and haven't been able to build Level of trust between each other.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Really good point. That yeah, if if you don't know the other person, that um, yeah, if there is some sort of um, what's the word, some sort of min-maxing going on, it can look a bit gamey. It can throw the other player into a bit of a, a shady sort of situation.
0: Yeah. So, it, I, what I what I want to try and get, what this conversation to sort of work through, is ways we can you know highlight the broken combinations so if good players can avoid them, um, but also talk about ways that event organizers and if you're running an event you want me and tom and take some of these ideas so you can make it so the inclusion of the rules won't upset people um that way folk aren't going to be worried that someone's going to show up with a min maxed list and ruin their gaming experience
1: yeah sounds like a good idea sounds good yeah okay um having said all that i think the um the beauty about titanicus is and i think henry chown was talking about this as well is that um, a lot of the result of the game comes from the skill with which you use your Titans, in other words, the decisions that you make. And even though there's, you might only play with five models and there might only be four or five phases in the game, there's still so many decisions that you have to make that it really does feel like the the better player will make better decisions and get an advantage. But at the same time, there's still the beauty of the dice game. And I think the game mechanics are beautifully calibrated so that if you roll terribly, it really doesn't matter what, what happens. If you roll ones or twos in, in some cases, you're out of luck. You're going to have a bad day and you're probably going to lose. Whereas if you roll all fives and sixes, you've cooked your dice in the microwave and you should be beaten up for cheating. But <laughs> you're also probably going to win, even if you do make some some dodgy mistakes. So I think it's a good balance between luck and skill, I guess as we say. And then the missions play a big part and the Legio rules play not as big a part as those other three components, but they are still important.
0: Yeah. The, in my mind, the Legio rules change the way the game is played. They don't change the game. So you've got to understand what you're going to be doing with the rules for it to have any effect.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It should support your um, the narrative and the themes of your army, absolutely. And I think um, the designers have done a really good job of doing that with their different Legion traits and strategy and, and wargear. Yeah,
0: because I think most of the actual published shows are a bit of give and take. Um, so they don't excel at everything, so you have to play them a certain way that does give your opponent an opening.
1: Um. Mm, yeah, agreed. I'd but say the probably the, hmm? the uh, strongest one that's in the published rules at the moment is Presagius, but it is all about just getting long-range firepower so yeah if your opponent can close the gap then you can cut out all that advantage straight away so if, if the opponent to the presages player has a knight army with a lot of serastus lancers or the ferox or they're running a lot of double chain fist vulper reavers then yeah straight away presages are going to lose that advantage so yeah which is
0: automatically one of the biggest advantages the custom legios have is that even if you were to work in a weakness into your custom legio rules, your opponent probably doesn't know that initially because they haven't sat down and spent hours listening to podcasts about it.
1: Yeah, true. Chances are they're just going to show up to the table and then it's going to be shown to them, explained to them. So you'd have to have some sort of supercomputer brain to be able to rationalize and break it all down and work out the ins and outs straight away. Yeah, which I think
0: is one of the, again, one of the reasons I flagged the custom legion rules as being a very unusual idea, because it changes the nature of the game, because it's something you, you have to start thinking about, even the Legio option at a completely different level. You have to look at it and go, okay, what's it going to do? Whereas most people who are serious about Titanicus, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in that group, um, you've got a good idea of what a lot of the legios do.
1: Uh. Mm, yeah, well, given the the books come out, what, three to six apart, it's yeah, a good amount of time to actually... Pogitate on this, and hopefully uh, if you've got enough players around, you'll actually see some of these Legios in action.
0: Yeah, especially the ones that you need to think about, because there are a lot of Legios that are particularly unimpressive. Um, Legio Infector comes to mind as they were the first ones I covered that were kind of a you know shrug shoulders, move on type legion. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think their rules have actually put off quite a few players from playing them myself included i have to admit like the paint scheme looks a bit intimidating mm-hmm. but just seem terrible basically but as i said before just uh, the legio rules probably aren't going to make or break a game they're, they're probably not going to help things greatly it can put you at a significant disadvantage if you play an effector. so yeah you might lose from the strength of that but if you have good dice rolls and you have a good plan Maybe you can swing it, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fact.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, now, for some of my the listeners who may not have picked up Defensive Riser for one reason or another, um, just to give you a quick explanation of how the rules work, i dodging around it. When you um, instead of taking a normal legio out of the book, you can take a custom legio. You get to pick traits from a list. Well, traits, stratagems, and war gear. You get to pick two traits, two stratagems, and two pieces of war gear. Um, there are a lot of options. Book of Defensive Riser, from page ninety three through to uh, 101 are all dedicated to just listing all the items. So we're not going to go through them all here today. I think defensive riser and flick through them yourself. But it's broadly the same to the list that we put out in the White Dwarf middle of last year.
1: Yeah, they, um, full credit to the, the Games writers. They did fix some ones that were quite problematic. There were some terrible ones, like uh, Elite Majors was so good, a no-brainer's sake. So this new iteration is better.
0: I think you can take this down to your... Local gaming club, it and play your friends with no worries. I think it's pretty well balanced um, because the go-to options are the go-to options, but even they aren't as broken as Elite Magus was back in the day.
1: Uh, also on this point, um, just comparing to the existing Legios, most existing Legios have four special things. There's a couple that have got five, like Vulcanum, Volcanum, Volcanum, Gryphonicus, Defensa, and Mortis have five things. But other than that, every pre-existing Legio is four, so they're perfectly on par in that regard. Uh, Generally speaking, the existing Legios, if they do have five, one of the options tends to be pretty weak and not really used. Four seems like a good number. It enables people to uh, customize their battle groups and their individual engines to reflect a theme.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You only get four points, so you can pick two traits, and then you've either got two stratagems or two pieces of war gear you can take, which it itch which in itself is a good limiting um system you could just take like two of each which is kind of how i ran it accidentally for a while using the uh <laughs> white dwarf one because i'm terrible at reading at times um it can be lead to some very brokenness get cut down onto the real meat of the subject and talk about ways we would use to start you know limiting abuses or the proviso yeah we well in here, in,
1: here in in sydney um probably got about about a third of the players that are using custom legio rules okay so i've just thrown thrown it out to them and said go for it um being in the mournable mindset i have Mm eroded a couple of things that jumped out straight away to myself and michael john that seemed a little bit disproportionately good and that Mm -hmm. was the macro charges and the tracking gyroscopes Mm -hmm. but other, other than that i said um we said just uh Follow the rules and pick your four trait stratagems and war gear, and make up your legio and go for it. And we've been playing games against dudes that have custom legios, and things seem to be going reasonably well, pretty pretty well, all things considered. So okay. it doesn't seem like in um, my meta there's too much abuse going on, but there are some definitely some stronger choices.
0: Well, um, do you increase the point cost of both the tracking gyroscopes and macro magazine or macro charges, right?
1: Yeah, macro charges, that's right. Um, so, on, uh, I read Goonhammer, they're pretty good. They didn't seem too concerned about macro charges. Uh, we've had a bit of a discussion, and you seem to think macro charges are about on par for their cost. But Michael, John, and I thought they were uh, fairly um, fairly powerful given the points cost, effectively turning things like volcano cannons into bellicosis for a pretty minimal.
0: Yeah, I mean, so a macro charge does increase the size of the
1: blast and does increase the strength yeah so it goes from three inches to five inches and increases the strength by one yeah no that, that, that's i can see where you guys are coming from because
0: it is a pretty cheap upgrade because you're it, you're looking at plus 20 points to yeah no i think i take it back i can see the problem with it because um, you could throw that on a um a plasma blast gun on a war warhound and it's suddenly a really scary gun
1: yeah, that would be the most egregious example of where abuse could happen. So if you had a um, dual plasma warhound, admittedly it would be a little bit more expensive, but pumping out strength 11, large blasts every
0: time. I already rate it as perhaps one of the best, better weapons in the game.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I mean, it goes for strength 10 and then up to 11 with the macro charges, but you can get all sorts of bonuses to go way beyond that. Looper cow, if you're running a whole lot of hounds, side armor. Pre-existing damage on the track, experimental weapons, and with that large blast, it's probably not going to scatter. Like well, it only scatters D10, so if it only scatters like four or three inches, it's still going to cover that initial hole over.
0: Yeah, that five-inch blast is really accurate. It's the
1: mm. yeah, it increases the accuracy.
0: Yeah, the weird rules interactions. Yeah, the larger blasts are more accurate. So yeah, it does a lot of good. I I kind of wish they would reduced the strength of the weapon. Um, I think that would have been a easier fix, but
1: yeah, like I think more Daxus does that. Mm. More Daxus, I believe so. Yeah, and yeah. that made sense that the, the blast is dispersed over a larger area, so I could I can get behind.
0: Yeah, if you if you reduce the strength, it would be worth the twenty points. But I think you're do you know how? Do you remember how much you have increased
1: the points by? Increased the macro charges forty points instead of twenty. We bumped it up for an extra. for all titans excluding Warbringers. So we had a couple of bits of feedback actually that said the Warbringer is a little bit weak, maybe needs a bit of a bump. So having a Warbringer where you could have um, dual Volcano Cannons mm-hmm. to complement the Quake Cannon, the Mori pattern Quake Cannon on top, could be a good thing. So then you've got the three large blasts. Uh, it's going to be not cheap, but that's reflected by its large number of high-strength template weapons. Yeah,
0: 40 yeah, is appropriate, because if you do run it then on the Plasma, uh, the dual Plasma Dog then is running whole. Yes, it's, it's, You buy it separately, so you're, you're almost running an additional... 90 points on a 200-point Titan. So, yeah, that's fair. Um, and you've also got the points in the tracking gyroscope. Um, for those who haven't seen the tracking gyroscope, it allows Warhounds to fire in an arc rather than a corridor for yeah, yeah, no the car weaponry. weaponry.
1: Yeah, the Warlord. Also the Warbringer as well. So, initially, oh, okay, um, yeah. we just said uh, a flat increase to 25, but then some people said, what about the Warbringer? That's only one weapon, not a paired weapon. And that's a very good point. So we changed it so that the Warbringer, no increase for the tracking gyroscopes, but for the Warlord, it's 20 points for the pair of weapons. so effectively 10 points. And the rationale for that one is that using a Warlord to get things in the carapace requires skill. But if you include tracking gyroscopes, you're basically taking that whole aspect of skill out of the also it means you don't need to possibly maneuver because warlords are pretty ungainly to push the reactor to turn to arc so you're reducing the load on the plasma reactor these tra- tracking gyroscopes is yeah. an important consideration plasma management's really key in this game
0: yeah yeah. i think i was discussing with um the interview i did yesterday with The guy called it nick i'm not sure when it's going to be out compared to this interview but um the tracking the carapace weaponry on the Warlords are the weapon that's most likely not to be covered by scenery as well, which is mm. why it's so important that you, it is locked in that
1: corridor. Um, yeah, absolutely. I basically build all my terrain so that the Warlords' carapace weapons still see over the top. Because I figure yeah. if you've got a terrain that a Warlords' carapace can see over, then a Reaver can, or a Warbringer can really hide behind it. Just yeah. because the Warlord isn't always here, basically everything else can be and.
0: Yeah, I've been sort of playing around with the maths of uh, terrain height, and I work out that if you can hide a war hound completely, most guns in the game aren't going to to shoot because the Reaver and Warlord's guns are low slunk, apart mm. from the car-paced weaponry. Yeah, but it will true. give you scenery that's still tall enough for Reavers to step over. to stop lim- So you, you, you don't... So the scenery doesn't start limiting movement, so you get the balance between yeah. maneuverability and uh, line-of-sight blocking.
1: Oh, that's a really interesting sweet spot.
0: Yeah. Um, but that starts falling down horrendously when you stopping putting the tracking gyroscopes out there because mm-hmm. suddenly those the Warhound's corridor goes away and it's got a lot of firepower on, on its top and it's going to be able to just blow things up.
1: Yeah, high high volume and high strength in some cases. Firepower, yeah, it's pretty good stuff, the Warlord Carapace. just like the on the Reaver. The Carapace weapon on top of the Reaver is oh, just a jam. It's pro- arguably the most valuable weapon on It's got the 360. And such versatile opts as well.
0: Yeah, I mean the warlord is essentially its top is basically a, a warhound in itself.
1: Yeah, or two ruby carapace, or two. Yeah.
0: yeah, you're getting you're getting a titans worth of firepower at a really high 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 altitude. Yep. Yeah, those tracking gyroscopes actually make it a true titan up there, or not so.
1: It's it's not a huge increase. Uh, even at plus twenty points, I was theory hammering out if I have to play um, my Crucius a loyalist, obviously. But if I have to play Trader to make up the numbers, I could go a Splinter Legio and just existing Crucius rules because there's no rule specifically Trader or Loyalist. But I was also theory hammering out how to run a um, custom Legio using my models, and I would definitely go for tracking gyroscapes, even at plus 20.
0: Yeah, and I think most of the other war gear, thank God, is generally pretty, pretty mundane. I don't really see many places we have a huge difference. I mean, I, I don't rate the ranging aspects specs that... Team That's more uh, yeah,
1: if, if you're experienced, you don't need it for sure, but then you wouldn't buy it anyway. But for beginning players or people that don't come from the good old days of Warhammer Fantasy Battle or um, when you had to try and guesstimate barrage weapons back in the early days of 40k, uh, for those people who aren't so good with rangers... It's pretty obvious when something's well under 12, and it's pretty obvious when something's well over 24. But there's some gray areas like, is it 8? Is it 10? Is it 12? Or is it 26? So, for beginning players, it could be helpful. Yes, you are foregoing another opportunity, which are generally more uh, offensive war gear options. So, yeah, there is that trade off. But that. I'm
0: trying to see if there's any others where I think. Fusion missiles. Missiles. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I don't like fusion. Yeah, because it allows the missiles to suddenly get the fusion trait, um, which is the trait Melters have that allow you to roll the D10 for armor penetration during in short range. Um,
1: yeah, but the thing I'd say about that is they're only strength. You're probably only going to roll like a 5, 6, 7, and be around 10 or 11 in Yeah,
0: unless you come to bear with a... Um, you're running, say, the Reavers in the the manifold that gives you plus one strength when you're in short range, when you're in within shorter range of someone. Ferox, that's the one. Um, yeah, that's the, fine against
1: larger targets, but if you're within that range, you're also um, not able to shoot your carapace weapons.
0: Oh, well, you aren't able to shoot them at Warhounds, but you are not be able to shoot other Reavers and uh, Warlords. Um, and you're need to shoot, um, and there are a couple of other stratagems that give you those plus one strengths, um, which is why I was rating it pretty hard. I think it's... I don't mind it existing, I just think it's one you've got to watch as part of everything else you're putting in a lead joke.
1: They, they do seem to love um, missile option, writers of the rules. There's a lot of different things you can do with Apocalypse missile launch, not so much with any other weapon. No, no. I mean, you get the
0: um, uh, autoloader, which I think is a great piece of kit that everyone should have because it makes warp missiles worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just, the reason, I I just think fusion missiles are one of those pieces that, you know, a canny player can turn into something horrible.
1: Well, it does have a high volume of fire, that's true.
0: It reduces the, the actual yeah, fusion missile when you fire it on fusion mode does reduce the number of shots. It's still not on a reaver, which is where it's best. You're still getting three strength ward penetrating on D10 hits. You just need a couple of strength boosts on the rocking a strength.
1: Yep. True, true, it's possible, but I think with a d10, you need it's got an even greater spread, so hence you're even more reliant on luck. Like, if you roll ones, twos, threes, probably not, if you roll nines and tens, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna do some damage for sure.
0: And it's, I suppose it comes down to how you value luck. Um, <laughs> my um my take on this isn't so much what I want, what I think is the good for the player, I think it's what's bad for the opponent. And in that case, there will be the game where that uh, Apocalypse Missile launcher suddenly smashes out a strength 14 hit. Um, and that, that's probably something you weren't prepared for at the start of the game.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a surprise, all right? If a, an apocalypse missile launches suddenly suddenly launching 14s and 13s yes.
0: Yeah, especially if you're like, it does what? Um, which is why I flagged it, because it's, yeah. It's generally not going to be the greatest choice. Because you are right, most of the time you aren't going to be getting that strength. But there will be that game you will, and you'll be getting it against, if you get it against someone who wasn't expecting it, That's that could be a negative play experience.
1: I think in everything else, we're pretty well agreed that on par or reasonably well priced the war gear all pretty good good job g yeah good job yeah on yeah and uh, so i mean overall these i think they are generally pretty good so but then we move into the other
0: two parts of the custom leafier rules that are slightly harder to restrict these traits and strategies.
1: i think the stratagems are not going to be such a massive issue because even if you don't take any stratagems you've still got like a hundred existing stratagem to draw from. So you're not really disadvantaging yourself hugely if you don't take one. of There probably are some good combos that you put together, but then you're locking yourself out of other stratagems that depending on your mission, because you draw your stratagem or um, choose your stratagems after your mission, you could actually be doing yourself a disservice if you've got a very rigid idea of a particular combo that you're going to use rather than reacting to the mission as it presents itself to you and your opponent as they, yeah. um, they come in with their different builds. So that's yeah. why I don't think stratagems are particularly problematic. There's probably a couple in there that are a bit strong. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just scanning on
0: numbers for them. Uh, I don't see any on the list that I'm like, this shouldn't be in the game. Uh, I think majority of the stratagems are fairly moderate compared to some of the broken stratagems that exist in the game. As written.
1: Um yeah, definitely, definitely. And again, that's where in with the Mournable we've, uh, we've tried to tone down those ones that happen every single turn. There's a group of half a dozen where you just pay you, I think it's two stratagem just about every single one and you can get six uses out of them, which seems a little bit disproportionate compared to every other stratagem in the game which are all one use stuff. So Mournable, we just use a rule where those things are one stratagem per each use. So if you show up with the standard thing with two stratagem, just play it twice. Yeah, do you um for instance, strafe, strafing run, scatterable Sorry. mines. Everyone loves mines. scatterable. Okay. Yeah. Scatterable. <laughs> I don't
0: think "loves" quite the right word,
1: but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I personally plan. I
0: have my list of restricted stratagems, and I will let players take it at the start of the game if I think the event requires it. So if the narrative's going in that direction, they will unlock.
1: Yeah, those I was items. listening to your um, your episode a while ago where you are talking about that, where you you build your deck or you have like um, depending on what's going on in the narrative of the campaign you have a certain uh, number that you can use or a certain group that you draw from randomly or you're allocated by your team captain. I think that's a great idea. It's a really great way to, yeah, sort of sieve out those more questionable while at the same time reinforcing the narrative, maybe giving players a bit of choice. If they're in teams, you a bit of haggling. You have, have the captain gives them a little bit of sway and a bit of a say in what goes on as well, especially if they're allocating players to different tables, uh, different specific missions. Because so it does uh, let yeah, me sort of say
0: that I'm not... I'm not banning stratagems. Like, I'm not going to say that people won't get access to scatterable, but it's going to come out in the games where I think it's going to be good for the game. Um, I'm not going to let people start using it in game one, where there's a pile of feel-bads that are going to happen. It's going to come out when I know I've got two players who are going to hopefully enjoy its appearance on the game. Um, but I feel that's the responsible way to do it. Again, in places where you've got people meeting for the first time and have a good social contract with each other. And none of the stratagems in the Lijo book are ones that I would restrict. Maybe enduring gods, maybe reactionary fire. But reactionary fire is a hard one to justify restricting. Um
1: Yeah, it's still it's still situational.
0: Yeah. I have a weird dislike for reactionary fire because I think it's part of the combo that make you can put together a Legio that basically locks knights out of the game. Because with a couple of literates and reactionary fire, you can get to a game where, you know, knights really can't do much to you. That's a problem. That's also a problem with knights because they're a little binary at the moment so i suppose that brings traits yeah um these are interesting um there are some really bad ones
1: it's a real mixed bag isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah um and there are some ones that are amazing and if they were in a actual i don't want to call them real legios but a historic legio perhaps would be the best term they would be considered one of the best legios out there um and i don't this is where i start getting into how do i balance them
1: yeah, I think there is the potential to build a stronger Legio in the customer than the...
0: I don't want to be in a situation where I'm like doing what the Adepticon team did for their event last year, where they get everyone who, you know, had 40 or so players because they're a giant game, everyone's custom Legio list before the event to give them a yay or nay on it. Um, it felt a little arbitrary. Um, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure they had a playbook they were using, but it's a black box. The list goes to the mm-hmm. event organizer and he sends it.
1: Yeah, I've been to an events like that, and it does, it can feel a bit arbitrary if something you submitted gets locked back, and then you go and you see somebody else, you think, oh, well, that's what I submitted. Why, why did mine get not approved when that did? So, yeah, that can cause some bad feels for the players. For sure. So, if we if we put something out beforehand that's plain to everybody, then they're, yeah, much less likelihood.
0: Um, I suppose we'll start at the top. Do you have any particular combo do you want to see avoided?
1: Um, main combos i thought of were between the stratagems and the war gear and then it really becomes a one-trick pony mm-hmm. uh quite a one-dimensional way to play the you might get off a tremendous alpha strike for instance with a lot of reavers from say um a corsair manipul five reavers all with warp missiles and you take auto loaders and opening salvo and mm-hmm. maybe target lock so if that's your trick and then you can launch this horrendous Opening strike and kill a warlord quite easily, I would say. But if you play against a whole heap of warhounds, what are you going to do then? Well, wow, yeah. you've blown away one warhound because it basically yeah. works off the same trick of putting crits straight through the shields into the target and they die. And warlords have three crits on their bodies, and warhounds have three. So you could spend all those points, and in one game, you had to work brilliantly for you and give you the early edge. And then in another game, it's stupid and a waste of time. So I can't see too many bad combos coming up with the war gear and stratagem. Macro charges and tracking gyroscopes. In terms of comboing things up in the traits, I think most people will probably take two traits and then either one mm-hmm. stratagem or one war gear or two war gear. So the combos within the traits may be problematic. Some of them are a bit strong. So what you and I, Martin, have discussed is giving mm-hmm. like a point score or a rating to yeah. these traits so that the better ones cost more points and then maybe capping them at a certain level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was initially thinking that, you know, you'd split the points between all three categories, but sitting here talking to you today, I'm starting to think maybe it's, maybe it is just the traits that you have to cap.
1: Mm. I'm starting to think that too. (laughs)
0: Like, um, like, because thinking about it, the stratagems and war gear will, because you've got points and stratagem points and then actual equipment points that you're using, there is going to be a resource you're already trading. So, you, mm-hmm. if you take a stratagem, you're going to have to use one of your stratagem points in the game. So, it's going to... It self-corrects. Yeah. The the reason traits are better to take is because you, use, you aren't expending any in-game resource to use them. Yeah. Um, exactly. You're getting rules for free. Um,
1: yeah, effectively. And Prasadius is reasonably strong Legio because they have three traits. So, effectively, they get three things for three. Everyone else gets one or two.
0: Yeah, and they're breaking... And because of that, they are definitely... Breaking the system, uh, and it's why mm. they are one of the better legios out there. Lim- controlling the just the picking of traits, not worrying about stretching the war walk is the
1: best way forward. So from the from the top, we've rated the best trait as Vanguard fighters. Yeah, and we've rated that five out of five. So this one, um, I don't agree with the goon hammer interpretation that the warhound titans, or I think it's scale seven or smaller, which is only warhounds at the moment, get. Plus one to hit, Homer, and if they're not within six inches, they get uh, plus due to the command check, so they can do free command, uh, full stride, and
0: they can do full full stride and first fire without needing to make a command check if there's no when there is no friendly Titans within six inches of them.
1: Yeah, so I think that that last proviso within if there is no friendly Titan within six inches, I think that applies to both parts of the rule. So also for the plus one. But some people think the plus one applies all the time. I don't agree. And if that's the case, it's a terrible rule and it needs to be eroded straight away by Games
0: It's definitely, in my reading of it, it's when you're within the six inches because it's...
1: Yeah, that was my reading of it too because it's all just one big long sentence. so.
0: It's one sentence to me and I think it's the only way to make it bal- balanced. But even then, it's still really good.
1: Yeah, still really good. So that one gets five out of five. Uh, next really good one is Masters of Defence. Yeah,
0: oh, can I... I just want to say with Vanguard Fighters it would still get 5 out of 5 even if you didn't get the um, add 1 to rolls to hit because the ability to automatically assign orders to a Titan especially with the Loyalist trait of being able to swap those um, orders out means, yeah if you're running Loyalist with Vanguard Fighters you're basically saying you can take whatever orders you
1: want Yeah, and especially on Warhounds where they've Mm -hmm. got Pretty poor command, like basically the worst in the whole game because with your knights, you've got your high scions to give you the plus two to the check. Whereas with warhounds, the only really way you can buff it is if you're in a certain mana pool, for instance, or you've got the uh, squadrons going down with the squadron orders, but then you've got the disadvantage of losing activations and you have to give them the same order to get the bonus. So there's a trade-off there. And this game's full of good trade-offs like that. Whereas this one, yeah, there's no trade-off. Oh, other than you have to be more than six inches away. So I guess you can't share shields. That's a bit of a downside, but massive yeah. upside to be able to get those yeah. free orders for that's that up- aren't particularly reliable.
0: It's actually an upside at the start of the game as well because sharing shields in their first couple of turns is a bit of a trap for Warhounds anyway, So um, at least how I run them. True.
1: It is quite satisfying when you can put a, even a small blast, the three-inch blast down, and you know you're going to hit one and clip the other one and... Yeah, in a total of three hits. Even with a bit of a scatter, it's even better for the scatters because you can scatter onto the other guy and still get the same result. Yeah. So yeah, if you're
0: Fair if point point. you're running a full warhound force, you suddenly start getting the urge to run packs of three and you group them together, and suddenly the enemy strips all their shields and destroys like three of them in a turn. They couldn't do that if you were split up. So I mean, you're lose some warhounds in that first turn of fire, but you're only losing one or two. Whereas Vanguard Fighters ties that really well because it means you aren't going to be deployed next to each other and then by the end of the game, you aren't worried so much about orders generally. The order game
1: changes. Yeah, the, um, the full stride's quite handy early on with the Warhounds to get them off the flanks and maybe through the enemy lines, get around behind. I know when, when I look, I've been running uh, Ferox and when I have a Warhound and, and they can get around behind a Warlord or a Warbringer, it's very bad news for that larger Titan. Get up inside the shields, point-blank range, Targeted attacks at the body put a lot of damage yeah, in.
0: Yeah, I, I really, it's just, it's just good freight. So the other one we both disliked was Master's Defense. Yeah.
1: So Titan from this Legio, Titans from this Legio can move at full speed when backing up. So that's a very big bonus. So full move backwards. In addition, when a Titan from this Legio is attacked as part of a charge order, it may immediately move backwards up to three inch and make a single weapon attack at the unit that attacked them. If they do this, increase the reactor by one. Each Titan can only do this once per round. The move and attack is resolved after the effects of the charge order and the subsequent resolve. So that that second part, all about when you're charged, is handy. It's nice. Um, yep, it'll be useful. The first bit's really good, being able to move mm-hmm. at full speed backwards. Yeah, I mean, it's. I
0: say it virtually every episode. The Corsair is the best manaple in the game because it, Changes the move, the maneuverability of the game, and this basically allows you to make any mana point of the game into a sort of sawn off cor- Corsair, like it will kind of work.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because you can make a turn before you move, and then you mm. changed where your, your rear arc is, so you can change the direction that you get that full movement in. So, yeah, it is basically a de facto Corsair.
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, the. Oh, new heavy mana pull with a pile of warlords running. That you're never going to be. A, they're going to always be backing away from you, and they won't be racking up that extra heat to move backwards. That and tracking gyroscopes on the same uh, legio list would be a really scary proposition. Um,
1: well, thanks, Martin. You've helped me round out my custom legio rules. <laughs> 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 For when I, yeah. I run a um, extergimus mana. <laughs> right. So we we both rated that one a five as well. Yeah. Yeah. The other two,
0: okay, I've got two of the five, you've got one of them.
1: So uh, you said noble lineage was pretty strong, which is during deployment before any units have been deployed, Reaver Battle Titans can be paired. To do this, choose two Reavers from the Legio within your battle group that don't have to be part of the same maniple. Uh, paired Reaver Titans may be formed in the squadron at the start of each round. These squadrons last until the end of the round, however, they can't share void shields. So... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to revise my rating of a 3. I'm going to put it up to a 4. I think it is quite handy to have that um, coordinated attack. Squadron orders, maybe, but coordinated attack.
0: There are plenty of manifolds anywhere that allows you to share shields that you'd be taking uh, Pile of Reavers with. Um, so it's not a huge loss that you can't share shields. As I just said, sharing shields isn't that great. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, the combined attack, the ability to give both of them the same order easier you're basically going to give them the command value of warlord um so you get two of those on the flanks if you're being crazy you and give them volcano cannons first fire you've got a whole barrage coming in from two different angles yeah and i just think it's easier to abuse because it's an ability to give plus one strength it ties into that fusion missile combo because then you can pack fusion missiles on them and suddenly be getting strength five d10 it so.
1: Yeah, true. If you play your angles right, you'll be getting some arc bonuses. Mm, yeah, it all adds up to a, a juicy combo for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the next one you've got at five is Plating of the Gods, which the traitor only one.
1: When a friendly Titan from this Legio is activated in the strategy phase, roll a d6 on a 4+, plus it recovers a point of structure in a location of the controlling player's choice. This cannot recover a point of structure in a location that has suffered critical damage if a natural 6 is rolled. Titan can repair a single point of critical damage instead on a location. I think it's quite handy because it's one of the few ways that you can actually recover structure.
0: Yeah, it makes it about equivalent to the site Titan for its ability to regenerate. Um, now, the reason I haven't set this to the highest rank possible is I'm not scared of it comboing. Um, there's no other rule in the legion. There's no other legion in the legion set that will make this any better.
1: Yeah, it's primarily the. The offensive ones that combo together, isn't it? There's not too many um, offensive or repair type ones that you can really together too much.
0: No, and it it will it can't combo, but it is really good. I mean, it is. I have a hard time coming up with a custom traitor house uh legio that doesn't use the stratagem.
1: The next one where you have five and I gave it a four was duty and honor. And this is the loyalist Legio one friendly Titan from this Legio may be issued a different order via the adaptive tactics allegiance ability once per round instead of once per game. Now I've been thinking more about this and I tend to agree with you, Martin. I think this is probably one of the strongest ones. Yeah. This is the
0: one I've test driven. I took it out on the table a while ago and it is really good because the, the ability to change your orders on the fly is really useful. Um, and it combos with so many other abilities in the game because there are plenty of ways to get orders a lot
1: cheaper. Um, so, what what did you use it? What um, order did you start with? And then what did you change? I usually start with first fire.
0: Yeah. And then change to other orders. And it actually doesn't matter what I'm changing to um, because the trick is to change it to allow me to move if I need to or to do something else.
1: Yeah. So, you could invert the turn sequence. You could do a first fire, although admittedly only one shot. And then. Go to full stride and actually get the move yeah. instead of the other way around. Yeah, it's pretty handy. Yeah, I think I think I did a charge, which
0: I then s- switched to a split fire.
1: Oh, there's been several times where I've wanted to split fire. I haven't set it up earlier on in the orders phase, and then I only realised later. So.
0: Yeah, I had my I had my close combat reaver charge someone, basically kill them, and then switch to split fire. So it's a pocket missile launcher turned around and uh, went into the rear of a different Titan while it finished off another Titan.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, that's interesting because um, most of the chargey bonus type stuff seems to be for the traders, but that's a good way to buff the Loyalists with the combat weapons, the melee weapons.
0: Yeah, and doing it, doing it once in game isn't terrible for the Loyalists. Um, doing it every turn. Because you can also turn off shutdown orders if I'm remembering the rule correctly. So it actually it invalidates stratagems because you can take the mines that will shut Titans down Well. Okay, they go off the end of the movement phase. The shock lances as well, and there's the shock mines as well that shuts you down.
1: Yeah, uh, I just went back and read the rules, and it's only emergency repair that you can't change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can turn off shutdown, which is really nice, yeah. um, but it's also, you know, means it is awkward to. It's, it's upsetting for your opponent if they've been able to get you shut down in the first place. Cause it's
1: pretty yeah, there's not it. so many ways you can do it in the game, really, at the moment. Um, like the princeps wounded. And you unlucky mm-hmm. enough for all, I think it's a one on a D ten uh natrix shocks lance lances, which have all sorts of um hurdles to overcome to actually get yeah. the shut down. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I think the
0: the primary way I've seen it done is the stratagem shock mines, because it's like two mm-hmm. points. But yep. you know. So at which point you've got an auto I don't care. Oh, you shut me down. Um, I missed the um repair phase but I don't miss the repair phase because I'm shut down in the repair phase, so I lose the two heat. Mm. And your servitor clades actually still work, so...
1: So you haven't lost anything? (laughs) Didn't get a movement? True. All right, so that's all our our top tier one.
0: The low tier one, I think, we're about the same. Um, I basically don't care about loci of the cores, but...
1: No, I don't think it's a great one either because it's contingent on many things. During the strategy phase, allied knight banners add two to the result of any command check when issuing an order that has already been successfully issued to one or more of the Leg- Legio's titans. So first of all, you're going to have knights and then you need to issue them an order and then that order needs to be the same as what's been issued to one of your Titans. And it's
0: even worse, it seems, because when you start then doing the math, it's like, well, to get any benefit from it, you need to take a lot of knights, which means you aren't taking Titans who are gonna, and the knights aren't going to get any benefit of any of the other traits. <laughs> yep. So true. yeah, there aren't any, well, I don't think there aren't anything, anything else out there other than I think the crusade banner that helps buff knights. Whereas there are some Legios that have better knight supporting traits and equipment. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, which is why I just read it at one point, like it exists. And if you take it, you're basically saying I'm, I'm being nice and I'm going to take a, a slightly worse trait as, the, as my other option. Um,
1: <laughs> true. True. Uh, another one that I didn't rate too highly was the Black Shield trait. So the trader trait was really good. The um, Loyalist trait was really good. But the Black Shield one, the Path to Ascension, seems pretty weak. Titans from this Legio may reroll failed command checks provided they are within 12 inches of two or more Titans from this Legio. In addition, Titans from this Legio can share shields with friendly Titans from this Legio that are currently under the effects of the shutdown order if they were in their squadron.
0: Yeah. Everything about the Black Shield so far has been fairly weak. A problem. Um, really nice idea. Yeah, this Path to Ascension is not its not worth giving up your trait for.
1: No, I don't think so. Um, ideally, you don't want to be in shutdown orders, so you never want to have to use the second half of that rule. Oh, it's a, it's good, but it's amazing.
0: No. no, there are plenty of other ways to get a little bonus on your command, and a lot of the other traits are better.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of other traits. Command are probably more if you have a, a certain play style.
0: Yeah, between Gunnery Command and Motive Mastery, you're getting plus two on nearly all orders.
1: Yeah. And if you wanted to do emergency repairs, elite major's the one to take because then you get an extra, you get to re-roll the dice, which will help you with repairs similar to an emergency repair. Not exactly the
0: but it's along the same lines. So yeah. So okay. So we've sort of gone through them. I think the the big question then is we're saying we're gonna limit the number of points, the numbers we've assigned these traits. How many do you let people take? Is the upper limit five?
1: Well, I was thinking eight was mine. You couldn't take five and a four, two fives. You could take a five Maybe. and a two fours. Yeah, I
0: think that may think be the, f- about the right point. Maybe seven. It's,
1: yeah, it's still pretty generous. A seven Maybe would let seven. you take...
0: Yeah. Because that means you couldn't do two fours, but you could do a four and a three. Yeah. I think that's about right. Because then you could rock you know, Vanguard Fighter and on one of the ones we've ranked as a two, which is generally terrible.
1: Yeah, true. If you're going to take a five, you'd have to end up taking...
0: And it does allow you to do Dart Reputation for defense, which is a broken combination, but if you're a knight player, you should be aware of it.
1: Well, it makes knights even more one shot than what they already are because they happen at the end of the move phase. So you get your, <laughs> your one shot with your charge, with your lances, your knights. If they don't kill the Titan, then.
0: Yeah. Um, dark Reputation, for those who haven't read the book, um, means that knight banners at the end of the movement phase are shaken if they're too close to an enemy Titan.
1: So okay, they've really got to kill that Titan the charge. Otherwise, at the end yeah. of the movement phase, you'd be shaken, step away from. Them.
0: Yeah. Which is fine. I and mean, they still get that. I was. My initial read through of the rules, I was, I know I was on several Facebook groups saying it's the most broken combination in the game, but because of the, when it happens, it's not that bad. Mm. The knights still have a chance to kill you. It's just a good way to, you're just basically going to sink all your abilities in stopping knights hitting you again on that second in the uh, next round. So, possibly
1: yeah. even killing them with masters of defense with your defense, one way. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a good chance you can do that. Because even a um, smash attack is pretty good against knights.
1: Hmm playing a game where I had uh, a Warhound facing, a Ferox Warhound facing off point blank against another Warhound. And I laid into the opponent with my turbo lasers, did some damage on the body and then targeted the body with the Vulcan Megabolder arm and took it all the way to the end of the track and then all the way to the end of Crit 3. And I was like, no, why can't I kill this enemy Warhound? And then I remembered, ah, smash attack. So my Warhound leapt up and Kung Fu kicked the other Warhound straight into the body and only needed to get one hit and one point of damage. And that was enough to take it off the end of the Grits for the body and boom, catastrophic. Damage.
0: Yeah, I've, very I've developed a, a very nasty habit of getting my Warhounds that are running in red reactor track, giving them charge order and just charging enemies. Do um, so. <laughs> because they'll charge in, give you a smash attack, and then probably overheat in a dramatic way. So, okay. <laughs> I think that sort of covers general thoughts. Um, I think I'm going to go for. I, mean, I know you had the other guys from the I Horus look at these num- numbers as well. So I'm probably going to go and create a compiled point score and uh, limit traits for the Halo. So I've had some people expressing interest, and I've been trying to find a fair way to do it. I'll give it a try with given Yeah,
1: I think it's an interesting It's nice and um, transparent.
0: Mm-hmm. And only limiting the traits, because it doesn't matter. It's initially, I was like, oh, maybe 15 points. You'd play across all three levels.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 15 would make sense if you were to, to look back. Across. Once you floated this as an idea, I went and put um, a spreadsheet together with all the other fighting Legios mm-hmm. in there and it seems like most of them are around the 12-14 area so saying yeah. 14 if you'll mm-hmm. be generous yeah but and especially
0: when you, you know but if you don't worry about the stratagems and War Gear that's going to police itself
1: nobody that I've seen make a Taken 1 everybody takes two. yeah
0: I know no, the last time I played it, I just took two traits. I didn't even worry about strategy and war gear.
1: Well, as a Crucius player, I always just use my traits as well. I never worry about stratagems because we don't have any, mm-hmm. and I don't worry about war gear because I think the Crucius war gear is the worst way in the game. <laughs> so yeah. bad. Yeah, I, they are
0: on my to review list. And I suppose as we uh, move towards the end, is there anything you want to add?
1: Uh, no, thank you for having me on. <laughs> it's... It's been interesting. Yeah, I like the way that uh, I came in with some thoughts and having this discussion with you, Martin, has really made me evolve in a, my thinking on a few things. So dialogue's always good. And this brings us to the end of the show. I know that
0: conversation there ended a little abruptly. Uh, me and Tom suffered an internet disconnection and our recording bot went down. But we just moved to the close closeout, so it wasn't a huge deal. Anyway... I just want to thank Tom again for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to him for those two hours. And uh, I look forward to finding another excuse to sit down and talking to him. But before I completely close out the show, I just want to repeat an idea that I've had in several places already today. I really like the custom Legion rules. I think they have a really good place in the hobby. And I think in 90% of times, you're going to be able to rock it with any combination you want to play. And it's not going to break the game. This is an incredible improvement over the rules that were in White Dwarf that had some game-breaking ideas within them. That said, as I expressed in the conversation with Tom, you do need to have some social construct to allow you to have a common language when playing people from outside your social circle. And that was my intent to establish an idea for that with Tom. I think we came with a pretty good idea. I'm going to be using the ideas we discuss in this podcast at the upcoming Iron Halo. And if anyone uses the custom legio rules, I will report back and let you know how I think it went. If you feel like using these uh, ideas, let me know. I think I've put most of the uh, rules up for open borrowing by folk. But if you can't find the links, just shoot me an email or message and I will talk you through what I'm doing. Um, There's a lot in this hobby that can be improved with a little bit of house ruling which I think is the standard Games Workshop plan for how you should be playing their games. Anyway, next week's show is going to be a conversation about the Legio Ordax with a visiting guest. I had a great time recording that episode, and I'm sure you guys will as well when it comes out. Right, until then, if you can rate and review this show, please do. Please share this podcast with your friends, and uh, until next time... Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and in no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune.